Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 88, Underground Saints, Steve Garland edition. We're going to UVA today, Jesse. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from the Power of Change Worldwide headquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. Guys, we're excited today. We have a special guest, head wrestling coach from the University of Virginia. Wahoo, wah, wahoo, a, something like that. Steve Garland's with us today. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, brother. Thank you guys both for uh, having me. This is, trust me, more than you guys know, this is a big deal for me. So I, awesome. I appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. I think Steve saw the Hokie staff on here and, and realized he, that he had something to say, and we were happy to happy to accommodate and glad to see the rotunda. And uh, he's he's actually in South Carolina with uh, working vacation, I suppose, but he had to bring that Wahoo stuff in there for us today. <laughs> well, Jesse went to Radford University. They have no rivalries, I don't think, with anybody uh, in Virginia. <laughs> big wrestling school they cut the program in 1968 or something i'm sure but i don't i'm sure we never had it It was a women's school until like 1970 something so yeah no wrestling highlanders play no. some basketball yeah yeah we're good at basketball well steve and i hate basketball so uh actually i am <laughs> just kidding i went to unc they make you sign when you start at carolina that you will support the basketball team well Today is another Underground Saints episode, and for us, that doesn't, you know, my Roman Catholic grandmother would hear the word saint, and she would think of someone who's done miracles or been canonized or been dead or whatever for a long time. But we're using the term in kind of a New Testament sense that means someone set apart, God saved them, and they're doing good work in the world. We call it underground because we're not saying, hey, the spotlighted people of the world, although Steve sometimes rolls in a little bit of a spotlight at that NCAA tournament. But Steve's with us today. Just I heard his story. My son and I were at the NCAA tournament, Jesse. Uh, and every year, Fellowship of Christian Athletes does a kind of breakfast where they have a speaker. And man, my son and I listened to Steve speak. And so I'm really excited to hear his story a little bit today. He was bouncing off the walls. He was a 125 pounder. Were you 118? Was it 118 back then? Both. Yeah, I was everything. Oh, you overlapped. 26, 33, yeah. everything. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Steve was a two-time ACC champion. Uh, no, two a- ACC championships as a coach. Uh, 2010 ACC Coach of the Year. That's a big deal. I'm an ACC guy, U- uh, UNC guy, so that's a big deal. Uh, a National Co- Wrestling Coaches Association Assistant Coach of the Year at Cornell University. Uh, he's an actual graduate of the University of Virginia, so he'd been on. He was a first year and a second year. Never was a senior. He was on grounds, never on a campus. Uh, and while I got to do it to you, brother. And while at while at UVA was an NCAA runner up, made the national finals, All American, ACC champion, three time ACC finalist. So, coach, tell us a little about your family, your crew, how long you've been there in Charlottesville, and uh, yeah, sure, sure. Sorry. Uh, so, I got to Virginia in uh, in Charlottesville in two thousand six. Um, and so my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's now 14 was literally three days old. When I got the job, I was wow. talking to Craig Littlepage, my old boss about the job from the hospital. Wow. It was that hardcore. I remember like ducking. I was like exhausted. My wife went through a 27 hour labor, then emergency C-section. I like bounced out of the room and I'm trying to talk to him about money and, and what we're going to do. And, and then he's giving me a list of do- donors. I need to call the first. I'm like, sir, I'm in, I'm in a hospital right now. You know I mean? It was, it was hardcore. It was like one of those awakenings of real life. Nobody cares. You know, yeah. Nobody yeah. Cares suffering. That's right. And, uh, and then, and so, and then my, my other daughter who's now 10, uh, she was born, uh, in 2009, um, in Charlottesville. And so I have one kid that was born in New York, one kid that was born in Charlottesville. So I got two girls, Gracie and Sarah, and then my wife English, which you guys will hear about when I tell my story. Awesome. Awesome. Well, our two first kids were daughters. I got a 
almost 19 year old is going to be a freshman in college this year. It goes really, really fast. My second one just got her driver's driver's license. And so, man, I I miss the five, six year olds, you know, running around, they grow up quick and uh, what a blessing. People say, Hey, what's it like being a father of daughters? Like it's the best, it's the best gift in the world. Uh, God's grace is all over it. And so UVA, man, I, I, I'm a Virginia guy. I grew in Virginia beach. I, I wrestled down there. And at the time UVA, let me just say, they're not as, they weren't as good as, as you guys are. Right. Um, I believe, uh, Lenny Bernstein had just become the assistant coach who was a Carolina two-time all American. And then George Edwards, who was the coach since 1912, I think, uh, was there at the time, <laughs> at the time. And, uh, literally I had a girlfriend there. My high school girlfriend was there. So I hung out in Douglas and dorm with her. And so it was wow. a, it was a done deal home state guy. And I went on my recruiting trip and they didn't offer me a scholarship. They said, hey, we, you can walk on and we'll get you into the engineering school because that's a big deal. I was like, well, I just got into the engineering school by my own self. And then Carolina offered me like a really good scholarship. And then Lenny backtracked and offered me some good deals. But I was like, nah, dog, I'm gone now. So rest is history. Much respect for UVA. And what you've done there, Coach, has been fantastic. I mean, you guys, I mean, Lenny turned it around and you've really taken it to a high level, seeing guys on the national stage regularly, even as early as last year before the canceled year, national finalist with Jack Mueller. Uh, great job. And now, when you were in college, who'd you wrestle from Carolina? I'm trying to remember who that might have been. Well, you know, it's funny. I thought about that before I got on. It's, it was the first guy I ever wrestled was 96 was Frank Nacito. Oh, yeah, yeah. New York guy. I that. Yeah. And the reason why I remember that it was a huge win for me because he's New York. I'm from New York. I was born and raised in New York, and he was a huge deal growing up. So that was big. And then I beat CC Fisher in for my ACC championship in 97. Yeah, yeah. And then I beat Brad Byers the next year. And then – Oh man, maybe somebody else. And then I, but then I lost every time against Chucky Connors. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Chucky had my number, man. And, and by the way, no, no disrespect to any of those guys. I just came out wrong about those other guys. They're all great and they're tough. And I'm, you smoked them all and had good guy. wins. No, no, but, but, but for some reason, man, <laughs> Chucky, I couldn't beat him. He and, didn't uh, submit. He didn't submit mix you, did he? Yes, he did. He did. He did that to everybody. Oh, he was a under guy in yeah. the ACC finals. Little garlands, little legs like this. Up yeah. and down. Get pinned, but <laughs> he I over the top. Oh, well, I know. He loves, he loves telling me about it. He loves telling everybody that'll listen about it. I still to this day, he'll like send me text messages about it. Like, oh, he's on, got man. pictures on his wall. He's a club coach, right? In PA or something. Is yeah, that where yeah, he's back? He's still coaching. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Chucky's a little younger than me. He was at the very end of my career when I was heading out, but I, I know all those guys. And so knew of you and certainly um, uh, Jim Harshaw. Is Jim associated with the universe? He's an athletic director, isn't he there? Well, he was. He, he was. He just got out. So he went into business for himself. Now he runs his own uh, company. But he, man, he was my guy. I mean, not only was he, I, I was in his wedding, he was in my wedding. Wow. He actually came to Christ at my church. Wow. You know, uh, okay. Yeah, man. I mean, soon after I did. And um, we, we've been really close. We're still close. We talk all the time. He's actually helped me with development and fundraising and stuff still to this day. Fantastic. He does some consulting kind of thing, executive Correct. coaching kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. What church were you guys connected to together? Was that in Charlottesville? So, uh, it used to be called CFA. Now we're City Church. We're just City Church okay. in Charlottesville. And uh, Pastor Pete Hartwig and former wrestler. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> I'll make sure I, I highlight that because I had a big – he had everything to do with yeah. me. You know, yeah. Journey, so. Well, hey, I think we have a similar story where we kind of grew up wrestling and running and probably not following after Jesus Christ. Um how did that kind of unfold in your life? Obviously, you got a lot of energy. You have a twin brother, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Growing up in New York. What was that like growing up for you up there? Yeah. So, so yeah. So, we were born and raised in Middletown, New York. It's about an hour away from New York City. Little, little tiny little town. But, 
it was crazy. But, you know, my dad, uh, a crazy Irish Catholic family, a lot of drinkers, hard drinkers. Angry and, and drunk. Side, yeah, man, I get yeah. it. <laughs> and then on the other side was crazy Italian family. So my mother's family came over from Italy and started Italian restaurant businesses. So my grandfather, Archie Barbario, had a couple uh, restaurants in Middletown. So some of my fondest memories as a kid were growing up in that restaurant. I mean, me and my brother were running wild since teeny tiny. You know, I remember walking into the kitchen, like telling guys what's what, like, you know, like the dishwasher, you know, like crazy, you know. And you then, had big, and, big guy syndrome. Yeah, man. <laughs> And then my, my grandfather passed away. And so the restaurant disintegrated and that side of the family went through some real turmoil with finances and, and everything. And then the other side of the family, my dad, um, huge part of my childhood growing up was he constantly struggled with alcoholism. I mean, and eventually ultimately drank himself to death uh, a Mm. couple years ago. I mean, it was, it was, it's really that sad. I mean, it just kept downgrading and, and spiraling down. But when I was a kid, there was a period of time where he was great. He was sober. And so the first seven years of my life, I remember nothing but positive. I mean, it was just great. He was my hero. You know, my mom, my mom worked her butt off. Everything was just a good, it was just a normal family. Right. And then around eight years old, I think my dad, I'll never forget it. I talked about this in that speech at the FCA banquet. It's one of those memories that's burned into my, my mind and my heart. I, I walked upstairs the only house we ever lived in. I walked upstairs and he was sitting up there bawling. My hero was just like curled over the bed, bawling his eyes out. Yeah. And I didn't know what was going on and I was scared and he called me in the room and he just grabbed on me and held me and just kept saying, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. I don't want to go. And, uh, <clears throat> so, you know, at that age, I, I didn't know what to do. And, uh, I just remember just being freaked out and, and my mom had finally gotten the courage to throw him out and she divorced him. And, and I, I'm going to tell you right now, that was when things sort of really went crazy, you yeah. know, and not right away. I think my dad was able to stay sober for a couple of years, but he just was always going back, you know? Um, and, and there was a moment where there was custody battles and there was like, we would split up. We moved six times in seven years, I think. So it was just a very rough period of unrest. We were just constantly moving. You know, we, we'd be moving with that, living with our grandparents and we live with the other side the grandparents and we'd be living in an apartment and we'd be living. I mean, it was just one thing after another because they were constantly going back and forth. Uh, and so, yeah, so that was right around seventh grade. I think I walked into the apartment we were living in with my dad. My mom was living in Ohio at the time. Uh, she went out there for a job and thought that we would come with her. We didn't, we stayed with him. I walk into the apartment and he had been sober for about a year and a half. And I walk in and he's just got a, he's got a six pack of Coors lights. Remember the old, like oh, yeah. handle, you know, and he's holding onto the handle and he's just popping those suckers and throwing them back. And we it, literally, we were so broke. We only had one piece of furniture in the apartment and he was sitting on the edge of it. And it was one of those TVs you turned with your hand. Yeah, That's how yeah. old it was. And, and, and he was just staring at the TV set all ticked off and I didn't know what to do. And I was staring at him and I just finally got the courage. I asked him, dad, what, what are you doing? And he freaking snapped. He was like, that'll be the day you say anything to me. You know, I'm, I I haven't had a beer in two years. I'm drinking. And he, and he just, and I got so scared. I, I, you know, I got the heck out of there. And then my twin brother and I pretty much at that point were, were like, heck with it. You know, we're, we're going to do this thing called life on our own. We're just going to do whatever we want to do. Nobody, like we basically decided no one can tell us what to do. We had a complete disdain for authority and we're just going to do whatever we want, however we want it, whenever we want it. And I jokingly, but not jokingly, explain this to my church i said we were like coyotes i mean we just kind of got a meal here and got a meal there and then if anybody came around the den we you know we chased them off and just we just went off the rails and so by the time eighth grade came we were hanging out in the worst part of town with with some crazy kids and just doing a lot of crazy stuff i mean the, the amount of violence and 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 doing drugs dealing drugs seeing the things i mean just everything we saw there was good stuff too, but there was a lot more bad than good. And we were just immersed in it. 
Um, and then it got to the point where ninth grade came along and, um, well, back up a second. And, and right around eighth grade, that's when this guy named Randy Keys, you mentioned Kevin Michaels being yeah. such an influential force in your life. Yeah. My most influential man at that point in my life was a guy by the name of Randy Keys, who was our, our junior high wrestling coach. And and he he was the toughest dude. I mean, one of the first times I ever met him, no joke, he was walking around the housing project we were staying at. It's called Dave Moore Heights. I'll give a shout out to Dave Moore Heights. He was walking around the project with a pit bull. And he had a weapon in this hand and his head was all split open. He was going after a guy who had just a bunch of guys who had just jumped him and, and, and bleeding. He was going back place. in. Yeah. He was going back in and we were like, go get him. Geez. We were so, we were so impressed. You know, yeah. like when you're a little kid, you just look up to the toughest guy in the neighborhood. We're like you're the man, geez. you know? And, and so shortly thereafter, he yoked my brother and I up. It brought us into his little office in Middletown junior high, slammed us against the wall and basically said, look, with love in his eyes, not hate. He's like, you guys can be something. And I'm not going to let you go down this road. You guys think you're so tough and you want to hang out and be thugs and do this and do that. He goes, and he started naming all the guys we looked up to. Yeah. And he said, he said, how about this? He goes, I'm going to give you two options. He said, I'm going to drive you to the Bronx right now and leave you for dead. That's option one. We'll see how tough you really are. Or you can come in this wrestling room and do everything I tell you to do. And I'm going to make you a state champ. And I was like, oh, state champ. I, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, I was like, I don't, I'm not that tough. Cause I wasn't, I'm like, I'm not that tough. I just try to act tough. I don't know. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and, and so that was it. And then we got obsessed with wrestling and he took us under his wing and we got to high school and this is when it really turned out. And you were probably what, like 98 pounds in junior high? I mean, we're, I like, like 85 I pounds. Smallest dude in school. Now, thankfully I hung out with the toughest dudes in school. Yeah. I was like yeah. tiny, tiny, yeah. you know? And uh, thing one and thing two running around the school, right? Yeah, yeah. And and as a matter of fact, it's funny. My high school was crazy, man. I mean, the first day of school in high school, ninth grade, I got robbed. <laughs> this guy, this guy from another gang, another rival group, he freaking robbed me, man, in the hallway. And so I went and got my guys. So we went and got our guys, and we got them back. It was like that's how stupid I was as a yeah, kid. Yeah, you know, yeah. I rounded up my twin brother, and we got everybody. Yeah, we're like, all right, get Brown, get this guy, get that guy. We're going. Yeah, I mean, that's how ridiculous it was. And so ninth grade comes along and this, uh, one of our heroes in our neighborhood was the captain of the uh, football team. All the girls loved him. Big, good looking guy, toughest guy. And he got, we got an art. He got in an argument with a bunch of kids and we were walking home all together. We split off. My brother and I went one way. He went the other way. And those two kids who we argued with went and got a gun, came back, chased him down. They took turns shooting them point blank range, passing the gun back and forth. They shot him nine times. Damn. They literally were passing the gun back and forth. That's how evil, that's how rough. And that was another one of those moments in my life where you want to talk about a wake-up call. Yeah, smelling know? sauce, right? You're like, what oh, in the world? Oh, my goodness yeah. gracious. I mean, me and my brother, he survived. He was paralyzed for the rest of his life, but he survived. And we went to go see him in the hospital. And when we visited him, I was so scared. I mean, so was your brother so was involved in this fight as well and got, got paralyzed? No, no, no. It was, it, was the, it was the guy we looked up to. His name was Tony. Oh, okay, yeah, my yeah, My brother yeah. and I were walking home with got him. It. And okay. he split off, went yeah, one yeah, way. Yeah. We went, yeah, thank, I mean, literally, thank God, we weren't anywhere near it. Yeah. We were around the block. We, it was about two blocks from my house where it wow. all happened, our apartment Man. where it all happened. But uh, those kids, um, that's how, I mean, it was just like, it, it was that realization that, listen, I have to, this wrestling thing's got to pan out. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I have to, I have to, get, I, I love, this is, this is a good thing. I need, I need to have something. This is, this is the one thing I can do. Because, you have a plan A. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and not like saying it was, it was Compton or Chicago where it was every weekend, but the fact that that happened at all scared the, scared the heck out of me and, and scared me straight. And um, I started getting, I, and then the good news is I became obsessed with wrestling, but the bad news is I became obsessed with wrestling. And right around 10th grade was when, 
it started to become an idol in my life where literally nothing else mattered. I mean, yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about family. I didn't care about friends. I didn't care about girlfriends. I didn't care about school. I, I was going to wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. I went to every tournament I could get to. I remember raising money to get to Fargo. I went to Fargo and took third, made it to the state championship match. I mean, I literally did everything I could to pour into that. And yeah, Fargo, guys, for out, you guys out there listening, Fargo is like the national championship uh, in Olympic-style wrestling for high school guys. And third, that's very, very good. And so when I, by the time I got to my senior year in high school, uh, I was, I, everything had come down to a state championship. I was so outcome fixated that if I become a state champ, it's all going to, my life's going to matter. I mean, it's, I'm going to actually have done something. I have accomplished something. I'm going to be somebody because trust me, when you're the smallest guy in school, every, every day of your life, since you came out of the womb, you yeah. need something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This is going to be me. This is going to be my thing. Nobody can take it from me. I earned it. I worked hard. And I get to the finals and I lose. I get pitched to my back. Uh, I was by, favored by like 10. And I end up losing. And uh, I, I remember being on my back the whole first period and just like almost bawling while I was on my back thinking, I can't believe this is, I'm blowing this. I'm blowing this. And the I whole life going back. in your face. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I lose. And afterwards, man, I lost my mind. I'm talking like an idiot. I mean, a total idiot. My brother and I got in a fist fight in the back afterwards. He called me a name and I'm swinging on him. And we're going, I mean, it was just ridiculous. And I was so empty because I put everything in that basket. That's why I warned my guys all the time, be very careful. You know, um, wrestling's not who you are. It's what you do. That's it's right. not who you are. It's what you do. Because if it's who you are and you fail, then what are you? You're a failure. Yeah. Well, that's not true, but that's what you think. And so I remember sitting, I'd never touched any alcohol in my life ever. And I remember sitting up in this hotel, Hotel Syracuse in New York, and there was this huge party going on down the hall. And I was miserable. I was empty. I was all by myself. And I just kind of waddled down the hall, like in a trance almost. And I walk in, there's all these dudes partying, all these girls, everybody's smiling. And I was like, wow, everybody looks so happy. Yeah. You know, I'm miserable. I just did all this, sacrificed all this, and I'm miserable. And they're happy. And this guy, I won't use his name because he's still my friend in his name. But he goes, Excuse me, I got what you need here. Hit that, bro. This is what you need. And he, and he handed me a beer. And so for the first time in my life, I caved to peer pressure. Um, and I started drinking. And I... Honestly, in that moment, started off a 10-year journey of bondage to alcohol. I mean, I, I abused alcohol every week since that and, and until, you know, I, I got saved and God took that away from me. But it was it was 10 years of, I'm talking messed up. I'm talking like having a problem, you know. And uh, so that's that's how quickly that can happen yeah. and, and why it can happen, yeah. you know. So were you talking to any universities, recruiting stuff, any of that going on at the time? Or was it kind of like, hey, I'm going to make it through the state tournament, then I'm going to just figure something out? Or what was that like? Yeah, I, I try to tell my guys that all the time, too, is that I, I didn't get recruited by anybody, really. Uh, I was so small. I was mm-hmm. teeny tiny. So a lot of college coaches that did re- – I got recruited by a couple guys late. Back then it was much later. You yeah. know, it was like they cherry-picked in March. And, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and it was just – I was just so small. I'd coach – some coaches tell me flat out that you're just too small for college wrestling. Yeah. Um, and, and so my brother got into a place called Central Connecticut State University, mm-hmm. and I just went with him. Yeah. I was like, oh, well. I'll go with my brother, back his play, you know, and went with him. And that's how much thought went into it. I, a guy named Ken DeStefanis, Kenny D, we used to call him. He believed in us and brought us in. And and uh, I wrestled there for a year. They dropped the program, and then I transferred to UVA. Yeah. And and, and uh, it's amazing how you can look back and see how God had his hand in all that. Part of the story is that I was sitting, and when they dropped the program, I was sitting in Kenny D's office, 
And the Lenny Bernstein called for another guy on the team. He didn't even call for me. He actually called for another guy. And Kenny D loved me and vouched for me. I still owe him to this day. I mean, we still talk to this yeah, day. Yeah. He said, no, no, I got your guy. He goes, this kid trains hard. He runs hard. He does everything hard. He's just not as touted as the other guys. He hasn't, you know, you know, sort of done this and that. But I'm telling you, he's a guy you want for your program. So he marketed me to Lenny, wow. puts me on the phone with Lenny. I end up, Lenny brings me out for a visit and the rest is history. Wow. And so I end up at UVA and, and, I guess I can, can you mind if I keep going from there? No, no. Yeah. UVA Charlottesville from like, you know, running hard in, in, uh, gang life with pit bulls and head splitting and gun shooting UVA Charlottesville is a different place, but yeah, at the same time, you're in a wrestling program, it's still a fight, still a scrap. You're probably still fighting and scrapping. Hey, yeah. Tell us about the chapter there, uh, with Mr. Jefferson. Well, you hit the nail on the head. It was culture shock for me big time. And I had a chip on my shoulder too, which was my problem. You know, there's, there's some other things that were going on down there that were silly that I still think are silly, but <laughs> there's also amazing things going on. And, and what happened was I had a huge chip on my shoulder and Jim Harshaw, who we talked about before we started recording, Jim sat me down like the first month there and said, Hey man, what's the matter with you? Yeah. And he, he goes, I, he goes, I really like you, man, but you're acting crazy. He's like, these guys aren't all out to get you. Nobody's out, out to get you here. He's like, just cause these people are different from you. Just cause they have money, just cause they have a car doesn't make them bad. He's like, why don't you loosen up and make some friends? Because <laughs> I was against the world. It was me against everybody. I was like, these guys aren't tough. These guys are soft. They wear collars. And yeah. I was just so immature. They wear like, blazers to football yeah. games, a bunch like, of punks. Just, girls are pretty. I don't even care. I don't even want a girlfriend. Like, it was so dumb. <laughs> I was so dumb. And, and, uh, and so that, but my friend loved me enough to tell me the truth. That's what good leaders do. That's what good captains do. He was the captain yeah. of the team. He sat me down, told me to knock it off. And sure enough, Virginia changed my life. I mean, it transformed my everything in terms of the worldly. I mean, I learned how to communicate. I learned how to compete. I learned how to uh, make friends. I had friends from all over the country. Uh, I, I tell the story all the time that I remember sitting at a wedding in Mendocino, California, overlooking the Pacific ocean with a bunch of people I met from UVA. And I remember just thinking, this is amazing. I'm getting to see the world through connections. If I didn't go to UVA, none of this would have happened. Yeah. I'd never been that far anywhere West. I've never seen anything like that. I was like, this is amazing. I got to see the golden gate bridge. I'm hanging out in San Francisco and you know, all these things. And, and so uh, it was, it was awesome. By the end of it, I was all in on UVA. I'm like, this yeah. place is, is, is great. It was my dream to go back and yeah. I ended up, like you said, make it, I made it, made it to the NCAA finals match. But the downside of that, the, the good side is that opened up doors for me to get jobs. The bad side is, and I didn't, wasn't mature enough to process it at the time, but I remember walking off the stage, that same feeling I had my senior year in high school, mm. I had again, but it was magnified because I was a little bit older. I was so confused. I mean, I just, yeah. the best way I try to explain to people is I was empty. I was so empty. I remember it was like one of the emptiest feelings I've ever felt in my life sitting by myself in the hallway after losing. And I just didn't know how to pro. I didn't know what to do. Mm. I'm like, what, Yeah. what is there? I mean, what I went again, I did everything and I just, and Oh, it's just like, Oh my goodness. And now it's over, you know, yeah, because yeah. I know what was next and I'm thinking, well, now it's over. So what in the world am I going to, what do I have? What am I going to do? Yeah. And and, 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 and yeah, and the people around me at the time, uh, you know, they weren't doing anything maliciously, but I didn't have a lot of great, you know, their answers were to do drink more. That would make you feel better. You know, I mean, it just, it wasn't. Go win, go win somewhere else. Yeah. 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 I didn't have any godly counsel at all, but again, how God works, uh, Lenny Bernstein happens to be best friends with Rob Cole. Rob mm. Cole sees me compete. Lenny vouches for me. Thank you, Coach Bernstein. Mm. And, uh, and, and he sets me up with Rob and I end up getting a job at Cornell University. 
Wow. And so and, what happened was I quickly started thinking, okay, well, I just, I, I just need to be the best assistant coach in the country. That, yeah, that, that, that's yeah. what I need to do. I got a new goal. I got yeah. a new goal. Once I get a new goal, I'm all set. I just need a goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and during this time, um, spiritually, were you kind of, you grew up around Catholicism, Irish and Italian, that's pretty Catholic. So were you kind of like, hey, there's something there, but it doesn't have anything to do with me? Or were you kind of an act of rebellion or just kind of just other gods were taking the view so you didn't have time for Jesus? What was that? What was that going on? I, I took, no one's ever asked me that way before, but I, I went to Catholic school for six years. So ah. I knew I'd, I'd seen Jesus on the cross. I had, you know, I'd heard different priests speak, but it had, it literally made no sense to me personally. There was no personal relationship with Christ. There was, yeah. I knew that Jesus died on the cross, but why? Why? Yeah. yeah. Just, like it didn't make What's that got to do with me? And, yeah. Yeah. And not to mention, here's the other thing. And I, it took me a long time to be able to admit this out loud. I thought I was so far gone mm-hmm. because of things mm-hmm. I had done that I thought there was no way anyway, even if Jesus did die me it can't be can't apply to me though because i'm so messed up i mean i've been in fights i've done things i've done drinking i've done this i've done that i've done i've, I've lied I've, i mean i was so far gone in my in my own mind and i knew it i yeah. knew my heart was that dark that i'm like there's just no way there's no hope for me it got so done with me if there's guys, a god I yeah, yeah i was i was empty i was restless and i was hopeless yeah. you know and yeah. and those are three really rough things how to live now you can mask it by success and by putting on a front and by achieving, which is what I tried to do. But that deep down in my core, that that's what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, so, um, you actually achieved that next goal. You were named assistant coach of, of the year in 2006, it looks like. And, and I know, I know, I know Rob, he was just ahead of, you know, the, the group, him and Lenny were the group ahead of my kind of era. Those two eras were probably the two best in UNC wrestling history. Rob is super competitive, super successful, yeah. very confident, uh, fun, super fun guy. Um, were there any kind of inklings? Did you guys just run hard there? When did you start thinking more about faith or what it had to do with your life? Obviously, you, you turned on the Irish jeans and started hammering beers and stuff, uh, drinking hard still. You were single at the time still, right, up there just working, I would guess. Well, what happened was this. So here's what's crazy. Again, you see God's hand, the grand weaver, and how he weaves this tapestry of your life together and how I can look back now and see where it was all heading. So I, I ended up, Rob Coles, uh, one of our one of our friends at Cornell set me up. He owned a, a commercial real estate company. He set me up on a blind date with my now wife, okay? <laughs> so can you imagine that poor girl? I show up, I got a skin-tight shirt on, my hair spiked back when I had hair. I mean, just such a ridiculous mutant showing up at her front door and she answers the door and uh you know uh, and and i thought i fought my way in it took me like two months man to get a second date but i kept fighting she's like fonzarelli showed up in my house i just kept battling and uh and here's what's crazy so she is a believer but was a believer but she had walked away from the lord herself because of some things going on in her life that i won't yeah. bring up but yeah. um and what happened was her family started to minister to me her sister in particular mm. this is about four years into cornell her sister sat down with me one night tears falling coming down her face sharing the gospel with me sharing what mm. and, and i was so I, and I was listening, but I was, I was the guy that had every answer. Like, what about this? What about the guy and who grew up in the middle East and he's never heard of it. And what about this? And what about that? And what about priests who blah, 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 just being, just being belligerent. But at the same time, those seeds she were planting, yeah. they were, they were, they were being planted because here's what happened. Here's the truth of it. That night when I, after she walked away and I stopped trying to act like a tough guy, I went into my room and I remember curling up into a ball being like, what just happened? Yeah. And I started thinking about it. And, and, and then my wife started to slowly, but she had been praying for me for years. I didn't find this out until years later, but for years she had been praying for me. Mm. 
And so I started picking up the Bible, but it's not making up sense. My, my, I forget who got me a Bible, but somebody didn't. I was trying to read it, but I didn't. I didn't get it, you know. And 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 but I was trying, and I was ready to listen. I was starting to listen, and then um, I ended up getting a job at Virginia. And fast forward, this is a really cool part about ministry and what you guys are doing. This guy named Mike Alley, who was a Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, rep, um, rep for the area, FCA guy, he started coming by the wrestling office. Uh-huh. And he starts and he starts uh, wanting to talk with me. And he starts ministering to me. And he starts planting seeds. And it got to the point where, you know, the, the verse of darkness doesn't like the light. At first, I was, I was like, oh, it's a nice guy. But then when I realized what was happening, you know, that verse that says um, the scent of death to those that are perishing. Yeah. He was, became the scent of death to me. Yeah. I, didn't, I would hide from him. You're ducking out. Turn the lights off and hide. I would go, <laughs> yeah. tell my sister, get that guy out of here. You know, I mean, it was like. The Bible guy's I, here. <laughs> yeah, that's, but, but, here's, but here's the thing, though. I was lit. Those seeds were being planted. And then my wife started really t- turning it up on me, you know. And so she was ministering to me. And here's how it all comes together. And this is the whole point, you know, not about my background. It's about where Jesus comes into the picture what he, and, and what that change is. So right around my, my first year there, about a year and a half, about a year in, there was a situation that happened at my job. That I thought I was going to lose my job. There was a situation that was going on. that was crazy behind the scenes. And as a young man, I was again, hopeless, restless, lost, just completely out of my mind. And then I get thrown on this and I thought I was going to lose the one thing I cared about. Cause here's the sad truth. This is scary to say out loud, but I ultimately, if you had a gun to my head and said, okay, you got to tell me the truth. The only thing I really cared about was the job. The only thing I cared about was winning. The only thing I cared about was building the program. Mm. I was a horrible dad at the time. I was not a good husband. I barely, my first year of my daughter's life, I barely remember the first year of it. I mean, people show me pictures. I'm like, where the heck was that? They're like, you weren't there. Mm. Because all I thought about was work, 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 Mm. build the program, build the program, recruit, 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 everything, you know? And I was a miserable son of a gun to be around. And, and, the the threat, God used the one thing in my life that I valued, that I I value about everything else. And the threat of taking that away, all of a sudden the the veil dropped. I could see it. I was like, wait a second. If I don't have that, what do I have? If I'm not that, who am I? Right. It's all, you start asking yourself those questions. Well, if I don't have, well, then what am I going to, if I'm not a, what am I going to, and it's just like in this downward spiral. And so that's when my wife used that opportunity to say, you need to get on your knees. Wow. And you need to repent before the Lord and you need to submit. Mm. And no wrestler wants to submit to anything. Mm. The hardest thing for a wrestler to understand is that no, God wants to, he will break you to use you. Yeah. And re- the opposite of what we believe as wrestlers will never break. Never, break. never break. Yeah, never break. God yeah. wants to break you. Jesus broke Peter. God broke Peter before he used him. Yeah. Right? That's the way I look at it, at least. When Peter yeah, absolutely, yeah. Christ, when he went outside and wept bitterly, he was broken. That's right. And then yeah. sure enough, God, Jesus restores him. The next time we see him, the Holy Spirit enters into the picture, and he's the greatest evangelist that's ever lived. Yeah, yeah. People on the first sermon come to Christ. Yeah, wrestling's a weird wrestling's a weird sport like that because we we would say, yeah, you got to be humble, teachable, all that stuff. But we really say, hey, you've got to have so much pride, self confidence that you can never break, never go down, and then you bring that into battle and test it against someone else. And the reality is, God wants to break that pride. He wants to humble us so that we'll be usable to love people. Because otherwise, we love ourselves, we love our victories, we love that. We don't love people, or and certainly right. don't love God, right. uh, which helps us to love people. Jesse, how's that world sound to you, man? Is like, is it sound insane? No, no, it just sounds uh, like kind of you know hyper what everybody experiences, right? Like you know, uh, especially we're we're so hyper individual that the idea of me submitting or breaking myself before someone else is like ah, like as a non wrestler, I still don't like that. Uh, I still want to avoid that. I want to 
you know, you know, I want to show how strong I am. I want to make sure I'm resilient. I want, I want, you know, other people to look on and go, wow, look at, look how strong this person is. Uh, so to me, it doesn't sound crazy. It just sounds like, of course, like that, because the thing about wrestling, you know, again, as a non wrestler, just, I'm the guy that when you're explaining things like what Fargo is, I'm going, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, you know, when I look at wrestling, I, cause I grew up playing team sports, but in team sports, you can hide a little bit, but well, you can't with wrestling, right? Like you're out there and everybody's watching you and it's you can't just go, all right, someone else, there's no tag team, right? I'm assuming. You no, no. If he did, if he blocked well, we would have won. No, they know who lost. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to me, it's not, yeah, it sounds like the, the kind of, you know, natural, even though it, it does sound, uh, you know, even though it is really contra the gospel, right? That, that just like Stephen said, you know, breaking comes before you got to carry the cross. The cross comes before the crown, right? Yeah. Yeah. Steve, I don't know if you've seen this, but, you know, in our era, uh, it's different than today. Like some of the literally best wrestlers in the entire world in America are like, not just Christians, but they're like serious about following Jesus. Now, when I was coming through, it wasn't that way. Um, guys were, and I learned after becoming a Christian, guys were either like wild as all get out and just crazy, or if God got a hold of them, they became kind of focused, uh, intense, but for, for Christ in the kingdom. And so I met guys like Gene Davis and J- the John and Ben Peterson, some of these uh, Olympic medalists that were athletes in action guys who used to smuggle Bibles into the under the Iron Curtain over in Eastern Europe and like on the pain of death in Mongolia, you know, stripped down to their underwear and wrestle these dudes on the Mongolian step and preach the gospel. Um, it has been used and harnessed by God for that. So when you became a believer, um, how did that change? Well, obviously your, your relationship with your, with your family, your coaching even, um, because obviously you're not paid to, Hey, let, let's just lose a lot and be happy because God loves us. So you can't, you can't do that. Um, and obviously that puts you in attention probably where, where you're struggling on the nice edge of being crazy to win, but yet realizing there's a bigger picture in the lives of these young people. How does that affected the picture of your profession and your, and your whole life experience there at UVA? Well, it all, again, I think it all started. It was a prayer that night when my wife was, told me when she coached up the coach was a prayer of submission and surrender. And it was a cry for help. I mean, my, when I first got on my knees, you want to talk about humility. It was a posture, a complete posture of humility. Lord, I need you in my life. I can't do this on my own. I rec- I humbly recognize that. I don't want to do this on my own. I want you. I want to, whatever you, whatever you've got for me, I want to live for that. Mm. I want to, I want to know you. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want you. I don't want any of this anymore. Now, everything else I've been doing is out you're in. And it started there. And then, um, it, it, the next thing was, uh, we ended up getting recommended to my, one of my assistant coaches who was a believer, my volunteer coach, Josh Walker, he brings us to a church called city church, which is where the pastor was a former wrestler. And the first, this is no joke. The I we walk in the first worship song. The first lyric was, even though I fail you, I know you love me. Wow. Even though I fail you, I know you love me. And I, just lost it. Yeah. My wife already had her hands up. Yeah. I got my eyes closed. I'm balling. I never felt, I never seen anybody with their hands. Up. I didn't even know what was going yeah. on. I grew up in Catholic church. You know? yeah. I was like, this is crazy, but I, but I knew it was real. Yeah. And then pastor Pete preached on the cross. It was the message of the cross, man. It was what now here's, I told you, this is where it comes into play where how it identifies to me mm. that it wasn't just talking to everybody else. Yeah. This is actually relevant to me that Steve, your sins aren't too much. Yeah. With blood of Christ, Jesus bore your sin and shame. He took bore, took the punishment you deserved. He took your place on that cross, you, mm. Steve. And when he died, that death, the perfect atoning sacrifice for your sin, you're forgiven. Yeah. It was forgiveness. It was the power of the cross, man. It was 
you know, I hear people say, Oh, I saw the lights. Like, no, I like, now I get it. I yeah. understand why people say that yeah. because everything all of a sudden became clear and you want to talk about relief and, and just, you know, the weights coming off your back. And, and I was all in and I prayed the prayer, you know, the, yeah. you know, I'll pastor lead you with it. I was yeah. like, I'm, I'm all in on that. <laughs> Run and then, and do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's what I would say. The, the next step to that was true repentance. I remember getting on my bed soon thereafter and truly repenting for the first time in my life, being sorry that I broke God's heart, not yeah. sorry that I got caught, not sorry for the consequences. Well, I might lose something. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry for breaking God's heart and the heart of those he loves. Yeah. And I want to turn from that way of life. And I want to turn to, to you. And so you asked me how it changed things. Here's yeah. how it changed things is, to steal Ravi Zacharias's line, God doesn't change what you do. He changes what you want to do. Mm. He changed the desires of my heart. He gave me new desires. So uh, the, the verse I love is both to will and to act, right? So I will, I want to do these things that God wants to do that are pleasing to him. And then I also, oh, I don't want to do these other things that I used to love doing. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't want yeah. that anymore, yeah. right? It's like that feeling you get where you're like, ah, it's like your chest caves in almost. They yeah. don't want it. Yeah. Doesn't mean you don't sin. Doesn't mean you're perfect. But I started being pulled away from these things and attracted to these other things. And immediately I fell in love with God's word. I mean, uh, Jordan Lean was one of my assistant coaches, a uh, uh, strong believer, and we were together four years. He's now at Pitt, but he used to marvel. He's like, dude, I, he's like, you listen to more podcasts, more <laughs> RC scroll. He put me on RC. Scroll. Oh I yeah. Like, yeah. I got like addicted to reform. Like, I'm yeah. going to learn it. You know, like, I'm, just like we do everything hard wrestlers. I'm like, I want to learn everything. I had, at one point I had Robbie Zacharias, RC scroll, Alistair bank and John MacArthur. I'm, I'm like a four pot like every day. Like my brain was just like, it's about mind renewal, you know, it's yeah. so all this garbage. The way I thought was my mind was being renewed day by day. And man, I just fell in love with God's work. You know, my mentor one time came up to me at church and I was talking about how great the worship was. And he just stared me down. He's this awesome guy. His name's George Morris. He goes, son, I just love God's word. He just started staring at me like twitching, like all intense. And I was like, yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> and so, so basically what, what changed in my coaching is everything changed. Yeah. It's like, you know, the, the, the desires of my heart when I wake up now and I have to die to myself daily. And I have to fight my flesh and say, yeah. Lord, I want to please you today. Yeah. Whatever that looks like. Yeah. And I have to die. I'm a still selfish. I'm still insecure. <laughs> I'm still get angry too easy. I got to die to that. And I got to come alive to you. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I got to do. And yeah. I, the only way I can do it is abiding in you. Yeah. So it's all about you. It's no more about it. Does that make sense? So everything changes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a funny story. There's a, uh, uh, when I was at Virginia tech years ago with athletes in action, this was like from 98 to Oh four. I took philosophy classes on campus kind of as a, holly, a hobby to mix stuff up with people. And I met this guy named John Jenkins, who was this hardcore atheist reading Ayn Rand stuff. He was an, he believed in objective moral values, but as an atheist, but he knew he couldn't uh, hold that together. So we became really good friends and long story. He went off to law school, became an attorney. And then finally, uh, just God broke him through several events. He got cancer and then uh, some folks loved him well in that. He called me back and said, hey man, I remember every conversation we had about about God and I want to give my life to him. And it was just fantastic. I was like, wow, this is one of the guys, the top two guys in my life. My dad and this guy, I thought would never ever, you know, he was anti, he knew all the arguments against the faith and became a Christian. And then he started getting into R.C. Sproul. And I was like, hey, 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 because he was very combative, you know, so he was wanting to fight everybody. I was like, hey, just love people. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't, don't think everyone has to believe everything that you know yet. Just be patient, yeah. you know? And yeah. so, yeah, I can see you're getting all wild into some, uh, ligonier ministry. Justin Kerber was a kid I recruited at Cornell and his dad put his arm around. He wants his dad's a hardcore dude, three time yeah. all American, really strong. Yeah. Believer, and he goes, 
Steve, you got to get this truth in love thing together. Yeah, that's like, right. That's right. Like, like, I went and spoke at this Christian church, uh, Christian school once. I won't say the name, but I, <laughs> they made the mistake of bringing me in to talk. And I was like, girl, <laughs> girl said something. I was like, you don't have to look like her. You need to look like you. <laughs> you were really wonderfully made, made in God's image, on purpose, for a purpose, by God, for God. I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't need to look like her. She's like, like this like, man is crazy. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, meant, I didn't mean it mean. I meant it. Yeah. Right, oh, right. yeah. Oh, out, totally. Like, totally. Over the top. Totally. I think my junior year in high school, I started memorizing the Bible. So I started doing these little note cards in my bathroom. You know, Mike Chase was my roommate. Mike Chase is a referee now, right? Yeah, yeah. So Chase was like, wow, Reed's getting weird. But then my parents came and visited. My dad's an atheist guy. My mom's kind of just wasn't believing much at all at the time. And they went into my bathroom and had like 50 like sticky notes everywhere. And they said, hey, man, are you going crazy? Who's brainwashing? And I'm like, well, Jesus is brainwashing me. And you just got to learn how to to temper it and how to to aim well and speak to people, I think over time and so one of the passions i had we saw we had hardly any christians on our team when i first got to carolina and probably half our team was like seriously committed to god uh through recruiting and conversions on our team by the time i left and it was just a real rich season of course that i've been doing that kind of work ever since i mean it looks like there's going to be some doors open here locally for me to kind of be back around wrestlers which should be really 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 fun well hey um your marriage, your wife, she, she called you out, you know, coached up the coach. Um, what changed there? Was she like, and you guys both, both kind of came back around at the same time, I guess, because she you know, recommitted yeah. or kind of to her family. Right. Well, exactly. that's exactly what happened. And so once that happens, now you have a foundation, right? You have truth. And so she started pouring her heart out to me about how hard the last five years have been and how blind I had been to it. Wow. And we were able to talk that through. And I had to repent for so many things that I didn't even see. Humbling, right? Um, yeah. And, and, then, and then, you know, going to church together. Together, holding hands I and mean, just things that we had never we we're walking through life together now she i started the whole thing is what cha- again how example god changes your heart instead of looking at her at my wife that's god's daughter mm-hmm. and i need to treat her as such you know and my kids is my kids those are god's kids i'm mm-hmm. called to be a steward over those kids those are his kids this job's not my job it's his job and i got to be a good steward over that and work at it with all my heart as if working for him and not the lord you yeah, know and, and yeah. talk about you know example of the heart change just so we have tangible examples. So people listen, if you're not a believer, you want to know this is real. I was reading and again. I was, you know, I had a problem with alcohol still. And uh, I was reading the verse, you know, your body's a temple of the Holy spirit, which is in you, which you have yeah. received from God. Your body yeah. is not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. You yeah. were bought with a price. And that flashback to that first sermon, when I realized what the cross was, who Jesus was, what Jesus did and what it means for me. Yeah. What him broken and bloody on that cross and here I am doing what I'm doing, disrespecting him and what he's done for me. I never, t- I haven't touched alcohol since that was 10 years ago. Never wow. touched it. No. Like I, I won't ever go near to God by God's grace. I'll never touch it again either because I'm saying that's for everybody. Yeah. But yeah. for me, it was like, if I, I, I couldn't, I, my heart broke in, yeah. in godly conviction, not worldly sorrow. It was godly yeah. conviction that, that the things that I do break hurts him and hurts the people around me when I'm on that stuff. And so yeah. I'm never doing and so praise God, I've, I've never touched this stuff. That's to me, that's a tangible example of fruit of the Holy yeah. spirit. It's fruit of God's word working in your life of yeah. his power, grace working in your life. Um, and so when that happened, go figure, we started getting a lot closer because my wife hated when I drank, she hated the way I acted. who you she became, yeah. who I became. And so now we've got this and then my focus shifts to, wait a second, how am I going to honor her? How's she going to honor me? And then, you know, still all the fights and everything we go through, but it's, it's, it just, it was just day by day now. And how, and, and that's something that's, um, that you're actively working on as opposed to not working on, yeah. you know, honestly it was way down the chain for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, Coach, man, let me ask you this. You you were at a wonderful institution of higher uh, education. Obviously, UVA was a big part of changing your life and the people you met there and the things that uh, you learned there. Obviously, you're turning your life over to, to Jesus Christ during the, that time. And, you know, UVA was founded by Thomas Jefferson. He was a deist. He wasn't an atheist. He believed in God, but cut up his own, you know, made his own Bible kind of deal. Um, how is it being at a wonderful university that's secular in mindset, but yet being a Christian? Christian, how how do you balance both love and respecting the diversity and the uh, the viewpoints there? But yet, obviously, you're very committed to Jesus. How how does that work uh, for you? And um, just free to be yourself, or is that something you you're aware of? Well, definitely aware of it. Definitely have to be wise. You definitely have to, you know, absolutely. You need to hear other. You have to welcome other thought. You have to, you know, be accepting and, and all that. I. I think for me, it's just truly tolerant of all, all you need to do is be ready, man. I yeah. tell my guys, stay ready, be yeah. ready. Yeah. You know, just always be getting better. Always be ready for when God opens up a door, whether we're going to wrestle or not, just be ready. Yeah. You're like, well, I don't know. I don't have anything to train for. No, you got something to train for every yeah. day. You're going to get, be the best you can be. And it's the same with me. Just be ready. Cause what God's shown me is he's going to open those doors. I'll give you an example. I had a young man uh, come into my office and tell me that he was going to commit suicide and tell me how he was going to do it. Mm. And, and, and that's how you want to talk about being in the hardest part of your life. Yeah. And we were in crisis mode. And, yeah. and I was alone with this young man in this emergency room setting. And this is just one of the scariest moments of my life. Yeah. The, the, the nurses and the doctors were like, coach, we got two options. We're either going to call the police and he gets arrested or he voluntarily admits himself and we can take care of him. But if he resists, we got to go to the next level because he's a danger to himself. Yeah. And so I got, you want, and, and I was so scared when God put on my heart in that moment was you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Because mm. mm. I'll be honest with you. I didn't mm. want to be there. I was, I was scared and I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And I'd never been in that situation before. And God put on my heart, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And so I went in there and I just shared with this kid that God loves him. Yeah. And you don't even know that you don't yeah. even realize it, how much he loves you, that he made you and that he made you for a purpose that he has a purpose and a plan for your life. And that this isn't it. And that, and you know, I went on and on and on and I don't know what got through and what didn't, but yeah. by the time yeah. we got done talking, he put his head down and said, okay, I'll, I'll let him, I'll let him do this. Uh, you can tell the doctors I'm okay. Oh, and it was man. like, all of a sudden his shoulders relaxed. Yeah. He took a deep breath and all of a sudden we were working together. Yeah. And we, got, we got through and the kid's doing fine right now. Yeah. The kid, you know, years and years later, that was years ago, but yeah. it's like, those are the moments, right? And I remember driving yeah. home with this weird, it was like nine o'clock at night. I've been going all day with this thing. You know, it was like nine o'clock in the morning when that happened. So yeah. and I'm driving home exhausted, but with this peace that, well, man, praise God. That's what, that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm here for, you know? Yeah. And, and, and there's been so many other moments like that guys coming in and tell me, Hey, I just caught my mom, just caught my dad cheating on her mm-hmm. and their world you know? is falling apart. Yeah. yeah. The world's falling apart. And, yeah. or, you know, the girlfriend thing is, is one of my newest ones. And I get to say, listen, you, you don't understand that you're treating her as an, this is, there's a yeah. God designed relationship for a reason, right, you know, and, right. and, and, and a certain relationship. And right now you, it's, it's distorted and that's why you feel this way. And, and now, and again, some of it goes in one year out the other, yeah. but like, just like with my sister-in-law planting seeds in my heart that I never knew would come bear fruit later, mm-hmm. hopefully those seeds are being planted. But, and I always do it. I, ho- I hope I always do it in a way that's, Hey, you're asking me for help. Yeah. Yeah. You're coming to me and you, and, and you trust me. So I'm going to tell you what's on my heart. It doesn't mean you have to believe it. I'm yeah. just going to tell you, I know yeah. I don't know much. But yeah. I know this, and then I always try to bring it back to myself and say, guys, here's where I was at. 
Yeah. And, and here's what happened to me when, when I gave my life to Christ and here's where I'm at now. If God can save me, he can save anybody. If he can change me, he can change anybody. Yeah. So here's, if you want this change, if you want purpose, if you want peace, if you want hope, in my opinion, in my experience, this yeah. is where it is. Yeah. So I'm going to present it to you and then it's up to you. You know, the, the passage that obviously the, where the word apologetics comes from in the New Testament is in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, holy first, set apart yourself, right? I'm a Christian. I know that. And then always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's in you. And then the last part, and do so with gentleness and respect. And I found that living that way, we planted churches in New Jersey, outside of New York City, very secular, kind of aggressive. We had Princeton and Rutgers students in our church plant. And I've always felt like, hey, I'm convicted. I'm a Christian. That's who I am. I'm not hiding that. I'm not punking out. I'm not, you know, when it was the first time somebody said, you should get into apologetics. I'm like, I ain't saying sorry. Um, this is who I, who I am. I'm a Christian on purpose. Um, and then I'm ready to speak. I'm in, prepared if God calls you to that emergency room where God calls you to that relationship yeah. crumbling situation. But I'm there to do so in the love of God with gentleness and respect for that person, whether they believe or not. Um, but I'm there because God has sent me and I believe it's true. And then we have a message to share. We, we tuck it away. We don't have something to share. And so I always appreciate guys who are living out their faith in the marketplace, in places, universities, coaching, wherever it might be. And uh, we just want to say, hey, we're, we're glad you're there, that God has you there. Um, yeah. I'm a UNC grad and, and live in Blacksburg, but man, I, I'm just thrilled for what you're doing there in Charlottesville, um, raising daughters, uh, and then really raising, we know what wrestling coaches do for young men. And I just want to say, hey, we're going to be praying for you. And Jesse, you got any questions for coach before we wrap up here? No questions, but Reed, I was bringing up that same passage because it came to mind too. You know, Stephen, when you're telling us, essentially you're, you're showing us how God is using you exactly where he's called you in ways that are uh, unique to who you are. And it's just, it's beautiful. So I was looking at that same passage, Reed, and, and uh, it, where, where is that? First, First Peter, Peter 3, 15, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and I was really struck by how it's, it's actually surrounded by this, this idea of uh, you might suffer for this, but you got to be ready. Like yeah. you got to be re- not, not ready, not just ready to suffer, but be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have inside in a way that's gentle and respectful in a way that you can have a good conscience so that you, you know, like Reed, you were saying, I'm not hiding anything, <laughs> right. uh, but, I, but I'm also going, so I'm not running away. I'm not punking out, but I'm also going to be ready to share if somebody comes to me. Uh, and it sounds like God is doing that for you. Don't Stephen. punk out and don't be a punk. That's the best way to be yeah. a witness. <laughs> yeah. Guys, do you mind? Do you mind if I just? I want to hit on for anybody that's listening, that's checking out faith. I want to hit on two, just two quick things before we wrap yeah, up. Yeah, sounds great. So, so important, and what Christ did in my life, what He's done in your heart, what He will do in their heart, and it's especially now with everything going on in the world, people are struggling to find peace and hope. And I, I just want to remind everybody that in Christ, He reconciles you to God. Yeah. You know, you can't have peace with other people until you have peace in your own heart. You can't have mm. peace with yourself until you have peace with God, and He reconciles us to himself through Christ. And we can have a personal intimate relationship with God through his son, Jesus. That's where peace, true peace is found. The peace of being forgiven. That I talked about that repentance of truly turning from your sin to God. You can be forgiven and and given that peace. And then the peace of knowing you'll never be alone. I know there's a lot of people struggling right now with that. You know, a lot of people, I struggled with it for years of being alone, being on my own and trying to act tough, but knowing that deep down that it, it was scary. And, 
you know, the verse in Isaiah that says, don't be afraid for I am your God. Don't be frightened for I am with you. Yeah, I yeah. will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That image of God holding on to you, you never, ever have to be alone. There's peace in that. Yeah. In the hope that the Bible calls a living hope, a hope that's an anchor for our soul. It's not a pie in the sky thing. It's not something that's going to happen a millennia from now. It's a hope that changes your today. It actually changes right. your present. You know, Christ takes care of your past forgiveness. He gives you abundant life present. He takes care of your future, which is hope. You know, That's he right. gives you a, where there's going to be no more pain, no more suffering. We're all striving to receive all that. It's all there. But when you know that, it actually changes how you live right now. That's right. And so I want to make sure people understand this isn't, like you said, we're not wackos that put sticky notes <laughs> on the walls. It's like, this is real. This is a real tangible relationship, right. not religion. And so I think, um, cause my guys think I'm crazy too, but most, <laughs> you know, they, they're like, they're like, what's wrong with this dude? You Coach know? is getting I, going again. Yeah. yeah. Like, here we go. He's, you know, like, you know, I'll, I'll go off on these random tangents about divorce. They're like, what? Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry guys. I don't know where I was going with that, but, but, but don't listen to me. Don't like follow me on Twitter. Don't do it. Go find out for yourself. Yeah. You know, God's word. Yeah. Go dig in that, man. Yeah. Let yeah. the word teach you the word, you yeah. know? Amen. Read the gospel of John completely sincerely though. The Bible says, you know, he'll reward those who honestly, earnestly seek him, yeah. seek him. Yeah. And when you seek him with all your heart, he'll be there yeah. you know, every yeah. time, every time without fail, he is faithful. So I just wanted to throw that out there because I don't want anybody to remember me from this interview. I want him to remember him. Yeah. And every, every single thing that God's done in and through me, it's not because I'm good. It's because he's good. That's right. That's, That's right. Because, it's a it's a shocking thing to realize when you open up your heart to God and you seek after Him, and then you realize that that God was looking for you. Um, in these beautiful images, like hey, when when a when a sheep gets away from a shepherd, he goes and does everything until he gets it back. If he if something valuable is lost, God goes after it. And I couldn't I couldn't get over the feeling to realize. Wait a second. And this is when you're you know reading reading theology and stuff. Wait, wait is it God was looking for me? Why? Well, there's no reason. It wasn't because you were doing great or the best or the smartest or good enough. All that. It was because of his kindness, his love and grace. He comes and gets his kids, right? I'll never forget hearing this uh, story about a guy who was going to an adoption orphanage in Russia. And one of the things that was shocking to him was that there was nobody crying in this place. All these little babies, little kids, nobody's crying anymore. And basically what has happened is that people just quit crying because nobody comes. And they had visited with the kid a couple days, you know, because they were going to take him home. And, And the second day they left, the kids screamed, and, and the guy's heart was broken because he realized that he, 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 he desired something because someone desired him and came looking for him. And he realized that God, that's a metaphor God uses, that he adopts us as his kids. And, and Steve, I don't know if you felt this way, but knowing, you know, I have a hard situation with my dad. It's not an easy thing. My dad almost drunk himself to death two years ago and then bounced back like a rubber ball. It's the most bizarre thing of being in a coma for six weeks. And, and it was hard not really realizing, you know, my dad was in and out of my life and he, you know, he, he never really apologized for anything he never really told you he loved you and to realize that this isn't just a metaphor that god has children that he brings home into a family that's just revolutionary man and to know you're accepted know your identity is because you're you're loved you have a new name um that just makes all the difference as you launch out to whatever he wants you to do in your life vocationally family all that uh and hopefully not getting divorced as well <laughs> sinking with it so man well, Coach, hey, where, where can people find you online? Are you saying good things on Twitter, getting fired up at UNC coaches on Twitter? What are you doing out there? Uh, where can we find you? Uh, 
man. Don't well, don't worry about finding me. Like I said, I, I don't even want to throw out the, the <laughs> handle. I don't trust me. I'm I'm nobody that matters. I, I want you to get truly like you know dig into you guys. Guys yeah. support guys like what your guys yeah. are doing. FCA um, wrestling. Truly, I, yeah. I mean, this this is no stroke to you guys or yeah. sort of tap on the back. I'm just blown away. At, at what you guys are doing. I was talking to my, my buddy who's, who's one of my spiritual mentors right before I got on the call. And I, I can't wait to send him this link because this is it, right? God gives everybody different platforms Amen. and, and we get to use the wrestling platform as a platform to share the good news That's right. with people that need it. They need yeah. to hear it. And, and gosh darn it. I, I haven't gone to Africa yet. Shame on me. And I haven't been to India or I haven't, but you know what? God's given me wrestling mats where I've been able to speak and I've been able to share what he's done in my life. I've been able to share that message that, yeah. you know, that your whole purpose in life is to know God and be yeah. known by God, to love God and be loved by God, to make his name known, yeah. to, to for his glory. That's the whole point of being Amen. here. And just, just being able to say that to people, how big a deal is it? Yeah. So just doing that, following and supporting Amen. ministries like yours and what you guys are doing. And don't worry about me. I'm going to make a mistake <laughs> here in about 20 minutes and discredit everything I just said. So. <laughs> well, I tell you what, we have 87 episodes here that you guys can all check. One was on faith, hope, and love. Just like uh, Steve, you sounded very similar to some of the things we said last week about yeah. having faith in the present, hope in the now as we look toward the promises of the future. And hey, there, there, are, there are people being sent on mission from Africa to America, from India to uh, Europe now in the worldwide beauty of the church of God, from people from every tongue, nations together, making a new family out of folks that were once orphaned and lost and bringing them home, finding us in him and forgiving us for everything and making us a forever home team that's going to last into eternity. Jesse, man, you got any final thoughts for us as we wrap up here today? I love the way that we just ended this, you know, like this is this Steve, Steven, you're an underground saint, man. <laughs> you know, like don't follow me. Don't, don't get on my Twitter. Follow Jesus. I love it. I love That's it. right. That's right. We believe Steve in doing things in a way uh, that matter alongside and behind the scenes for people, uh, for the glory of God. And that's what it means to be underground. So thanks for being with us today. Uh, it's been a privilege to have you, man. I, I can't wait to watch wrestling again if we get a wrestling season. Hopefully we'll be on those mats. Maybe me and you will be on the other side of mats yelling at each other here in the future. And we'll know what the real deal is and calm each other down afterwards. Thank you for joining us today, brother. It's been a pleasure. The Gospel Underground is a joint production of Power of Change in the Bonhoeffer House. We're taking reviews on iTunes. That's a little overground, though, isn't it? But five stars are acceptable. Send your comments, feedback, etc. Any questions you would like for us to answer or take up here, send those to us at info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture. And we hope to see you out there. Peace. Thanks, Coach. Thanks, guys.